right, and we are back once again to explore faith and pursue grace. And in our exploration of our faith and in our pursuit of God's inestimable grace, I am joined once again by Brother Kevin Pendergrass. I am Lee Grant, and tonight we are going to discuss Kevin's book. As many of you know, if you've been listening to this podcast for any amount of time, you know that Kevin is writing a book. And if you didn't know it before, you know it now. And having got about halfway through the rough draft, I can tell you guys that this book is a doozy. You are going to love it. It is going to be fantastic. And I promise you, we're probably not going to quit talking about it. But that's not the book that we're going to discuss tonight. What many of you may know and some of you may not know is that Kevin has actually written a book before this one. And it's an excellent book. He wrote it and it was published just shortly before Kevin and I reconnected. And I was able to read it and I had a really, really hard time putting it down. I think I read it after I went to bed and after I got in bed, I stayed up about two and a half, three hours each night, just ripping through that book as quick as I could. But it's a really, really good book. It was an Amazon bestseller, a number one bestseller in its category for a period of time, which was really, really cool. And it's a really good book. You guys should check it out. We'll have a link to it in the show notes. But uh, yeah, the name of the book is A Different Kind of Poison, How Legalism Destroys Grace. And so tonight, we're going to talk about that book. We're going to talk about Kevin's story. You guys have heard my story. And now we're going to talk in a little bit more detail about Kevin. So, Kevin, let's get it going, man. All right, let's get it going. You can either listen to this podcast for free, or you can go online and buy the book and hear the story. It's your choice. (laughs) Or do both. Let's just do both. Yeah, do both. No, uh, obviously, the book's going to cover a whole lot more than I'm going to be able to cover in this podcast. But I I did want to talk about this. Lee and I had discussed uh, doing an episode on this book and I thought it was good. We had actually did it. We actually did an episode right when it came out, I believe, but it was on Lee's old podcast, right? That was, didn't yes. we talk about this one, right? I think yeah, right we did. It was released. Um, yeah. Yeah. Right after it was released, you came on the podcast, the old podcast that I used to host that I will not name. I've tried to scrub it from the internet and it not because <laughs> it was a bad podcast. It was, it was good. And I still have the raw data files, but that podcast was one that I started right whenever I was still in the infancy of really starting to press some of these issues that I was having as far as my faith goes, my you know doctrinal unraveling of certain pet doctrines. Before I really began to embrace the grace of God, I was still very much entrenched within a legalistic mindset. I was still approaching the scriptures from a legalistic framework. And that book did a lot of good for me to help undo some of that thinking. And it was, it was really good. And I know you have said before in conversations we've had, and you've alluded to it on this podcast, that even in that stage of your life, whenever you wrote that book, that was when you really had very first started changing. You had changed on doctrinal positions to that point, but you hadn't really changed. And that book was really the beginning of your change whenever, whenever that book came out. But yeah, we did a... It was almost a two and a half hour episode, I think, on your book, on that older podcast. And that was a really good discussion, but we're going to go ahead and rehash a lot of that this evening, and I think it'll be valuable for everyone. And it, I promise it will not be two and a half hours. It'll be <laughs> four and a half hours on this episode. <laughs> yeah, buddy, you know it's going to be good. Oh, But yeah, I, I often allude to my past, and many people who listen to this podcast, I'm sure they're somewhat familiar with my story. At least I know many people are. 
And some have actually been able to come along this journey with me, which has been a very encouraging thing. We've been able to help one another out. And even since writing this book, a lot of former friends are now current friends once again. And it's a really neat thing to to have gone through that process and to it, that doesn't mean that they necessarily changed on a lot of their theology, but we both have kind of reached more of a grace agreement on how we handle one another. And it's, it's just been a very, very cool thing. And so a lot has happened since I wrote this book, but it's still a book that I'm very, uh, very happy to talk about because it helped me overcome a lot of my, I won't necessarily say doubt, although it did help with some of that, although I think doubt's always going to be there, Lee. You and I were talking about this before the podcast, but it's a book that when I wrote, I really wanted to make sure it didn't come across bitter. I wasn't upset when I wrote the book. And that was my biggest concern when I wrote the book is people are going to look at this and go, oh no, another guy who changed his views in the Church of Christ and it's just going to be another Church of Christ bashing book. So the first thing I did when I wrote this book is I made sure that I did not even use the phrase Church of Christ in the book. (laughs) I, I didn't want the focus to be on the Church of Christ. I actually wanted the focus to be, obviously, first and foremost on God and Jesus, but I wanted it to be on my failings, my shortcomings, my misunderstandings. I wasn't pointing the finger and saying it was that person's fault or this person's fault. Everything I did, especially as I got older, even though I was conditioned to believe a certain way, those were still my choices. And and I made those choices based upon what I believed was right at that time. And so going back to my story, I guess you can say, is I grew up in a phenomenal, phenomenal, phenomenal family, uh, still very close to my mom and dad to this day. They have always supported me. Uh, people have asked me, they're like, well, what does your family think? I mean, you've changed so much. What do they think? And I said, when I, when I was debating mom and dad, they were right there supporting me and they were loving me. They didn't always agree with my style, <laughs> but they, they loved me and they, in their words, were proud that I was doing what I thought was the right thing. As I've changed, once again, they don't always agree with, with where I'm at in my changes, Uh, But they have always supported me. They've always loved me. And we've always been able to have good and open conversation. And so I just, I really, I can't say enough good things about my mom and dad. My sister, I've mentioned this on on the program several times, was killed in a car wreck when she was 17 and I was 13. And that really actually brought us even closer together as a family. And even prior to that, we were very close. I mean, we were kind of that, like I had that picture perfect childhood I have more memories growing up, good memories than I can even recount. Uh, when, when I'm telling people about what I did when I was a kid, I mean, I just, it, it really is one of those I look back and I almost romanticize it because it's so fantastic. I, I, I have time when I played with my dad, we played basketball. I mean, he took me to A&W Root Beer on Saturdays a lot. We watched football games. He was always there. Uh, same thing with my mom. We would go to the movies. Uh, she was the one who, she wasn't an outdoors person. and I'm not either. So uh, we would always go to the movies, especially when I was a kid. They used to have 10 a.m. free movies during the summertime. And so we would go there. Oh, nice. and uh, Oh, yeah, yeah. It was great, man. And we would just, we would play putt-putt. We watched, uh, we'd watch movies on Friday, just about every Friday night. Me and my sister, my mom and dad, we would, 
we have this little place, it's called Ralph Pizza, and it's no longer there. I mean, it hasn't been there forever, but we'd go to Ralph's Pizza, and then we would go and uh, rent a movie. And uh, that, that's what we would do a lot of times every Friday. We would do it at least a couple times a month. And mom and dad just always made time for us. And, uh, you know, we weren't the center of the world, uh, but they, they made sure that we knew that we were loved and that we were cared about. And so I have had have a great relationship with my mom and dad. But going back to my sister being killed in a car wreck. So she was 17 when this happened. And she was on her way home from school. It was a Friday afternoon, her third day of her senior year. She had just been told she was going to be a starter on the volleyball team. And it was on her way home from uh, from school after practice. And her tire blew and a car hit her from behind her. It was just a freak accident. And at that point in time... I was already pretty serious about faith because we grew up in the Churches of Christ. I mean, we were the type we some of my best memories are playing in, at the church building because there was just so much we we had so much fun. It was a pretty large congregation about at that time, probably at least 500 members. Oh, wow. And so, yeah, we had a really big youth group. And uh, even when we were younger, even in elementary school, we had we kind of called that a separate youth group. But we always had all sorts of activities going on. And so just just really already heavily involved in church. So when Kimberly died, that obviously made me think a lot about death. <laughs> as, yeah. as, as you can imagine, you know, everyone says that when you're young, you don't think you can die. That was not me. I experienced my sister at 17 dying firsthand. And so I, I knew that, uh, yeah, I could, I, I could die at any time. And so that in and of itself conditioned me to think about death all the time. And I, I, I got to the point where I thought I was just really like, I could die any time. And I mean, I really believed it. We hear people say, well, you can die any time. But I was like, yeah, I like really could die. It could at any really time. happen. Yeah. And so, um, so I just really got as serious as a 13 year old could about their faith. And I was almost 14. She died on in August and I turned 14 the following uh, October, just two months later. So I really, really got serious. Now at that point in at time, I had already been baptized, but I really started to take my faith seriously and just grew up the, the rest of my, at least middle school days and uh, early high school days, starting to uh, train more with preacher training camps. Uh, we had a class at church called uh, Timothy class during the summertime, and you were able to learn how to put a sermon together and then preach in front of 500 people, which was really cool for a kid. I mean, that's cool for an adult to have that kind of audience, but for a kid to be in front of that many people, and I loved it, man. I absolutely loved it. And and uh, just really, really bought into everything I was taught. I was taking notes. I had my WWJD bracelet. And Lee, do you remember it was a fad for many years? It may still be. I don't know. But I, there were these shirts that instead of saying what the company's name was, it would like replace it with Jesus, like Rhesus. And, but instead of Rhesus, it was Jesus. You know what yeah, I'm talking about? Like, yeah, yeah. Well, I, whenever my family moved to Ardmore, whenever I was a teenager, I got a job at the local Christian bookstore and we okay, had those yeah. shirts coming out of our ears. So yeah, I remember those shirts. Yeah, really well. So, you know, I, I would wear all that stuff. Um, I, there was a shirt that I liked basketball when I was younger. 
Uh, and I had a shirt that said basketball's life. And then it was crossed like X'd out and it says Jesus's life. And, you know, I just, I really, really, really just, I don't want to say drank the Kool-Aid, but I mean, I was all about it, all about it. Well, when I got older, and when I say older, I'm, I'm talking about 16, 17 years, really 15, 16, 17. So just a couple of years, I started to, um, to just continue to, to develop that and realize that most of my friends, I didn't think at that point in time, based upon my, based upon my conviction, were really true Christians because they didn't attend a church of Christ. They were not a member of the Lord's church, quote unquote. And so I thought, okay, I've got to evangelize them. I've got to really work on them. And I actually baptized one of my friends when I was only 15 years old, I think. Oh, wow. And had a Bible study with them and invited them to church camp and, and, and everything. And yeah, baptized them and he started going to church there. In fact, his I think his grandmother or someone had gone to church there. And so, yeah, I remember like baptizing him and just, I was out evangelizing and to save the world. And then what really changed, and I'm I'm just kind of giving a few details. I mean, the book's going to give a whole lot more because I can't cover everything tonight. But um, I will say I, I did go through a very, 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 very small patch of doubt, not doubting God or doubting Christianity, but doubting kind of that Church of Christ legalistic framework. And that's I'm using super a, structure. Yeah. Yes. And and by the way, let me let me point this out. So I grew up in a what was called what would be deemed a mainstream church of Christ. So Lee, unlike you, you were part of what we'd call the one cup church, right? And and even between the mainstream and the one cup, you would have the anti-church of Christ or the anti-church of Christ, because they were anti-kitchens um, yeah. and orphans homes, or at least taking money out of the church treasury to support organizations like orphans homes. They're not opposed to orphans homes, but uh, taking money out of the church treasury. So you have all these different groups. And then on the other side, you had what were called the liberals, and then you had the ultra liberals. And so the liberals were the ones who would clap their hands. They were the ones who would have a praise team. And the ultra liberals were the ones who had instrumental music. And there were only a few of those, but they, they were out there. And we certainly were taught to, to be uh, forewarned about them. But I, I started wondering, okay, well, maybe, I don't know, like, like maybe this, this, like, is it really wrong to hand clap? <laughs> and, and I'm thinking, but I'm just a kid. So what do I know? Right. I mean, if, yeah. if this is what all these smart people are telling me, then it, it must be true. And so even though I kind of went through a period of doubt, what really brought me back is, uh, I had a friend of mine whose father was a preacher in the churches of Christ. And he was literally one of the best speakers I'd ever heard in my life, which was a short life. But even to this day, I must say, he's a, he's a really dynamic speaker. And because even being on fire for the Lord at 14, 15, 16, it's, it's one of those things where, you know, it's hard sometimes to keep your attention every Sunday for, you know, not just Sunday, Sunday, but Sunday morning and Sunday night to hear a sermon. And so sometimes it, I wouldn't always pay as much attention as I should, which I even felt guilty about that. Cause I'm like, Oh no, I'm not being the best Christian I can. Cause I'm not paying full attention to this sermon. But my friend's dad, he was phenomenal. And I'm like, man, this guy's interesting. He's funny. He's dynamic. He's charismatic. And even though I wouldn't have used those words to describe them at that time, looking back, that's exactly what I realized is, man, that that's why I was so attracted to his style of preaching. And it was straight up book, chapter, and verse. I mean, the guy quoted sometimes 150, 200 verses 
in his sermon. I'm like, man, this is preaching right here. This is the way it should be done. I mean, I felt motivated. Like after hearing him, I wanted to go out and save the world every it's time pumping I heard him. you up. Yeah, yeah it's really yeah. powerful. So his dad said, hey, how would you like to preach sometime? I'm like, yeah, you know, I've, I've done a little bit when I was younger at Timothy class, but I mean, that wasn't like true preaching. And he's like, well, how about, how about you and my son? How about you split a Sunday service where you preach half the time for about 10 or 15 minutes, and then he'll preach the other half for 10 or 15 minutes. So he's like, but I, and I'll let you come up with a title because his son wasn't that thrilled about it. He didn't really like speaking, but he's like, yeah, I'll do it. You know? So, yeah. uh, so, so the, the sermon title, can you imagine what I preached on? It's what if you die tonight? <laughs> that was my sermon title. So what if you die tonight? And I talked about fear and how we are, you know, the judgment could be any time we could die at any time. And then I ended telling about my sister dying in a car wreck. And when I when I preached, I got a lot of the uh, the older ladies. You know, they came up and pinched my cheek, told me it was the best sermon they had ever heard. Which they would they I've, I've now realized they do that to anybody and everybody until you get older. You know, <laughs> when you're when you're young, when you're when you're 16, 17 years old, and you're preaching. I mean, that's all anybody older than you, they're going to encourage that. They're going to be happy you're doing that. And so I was, I started to let some of those compliments go to my head. And they're like, oh, this is the best sermon. Really? Man, that's the best sermon they've ever heard, you know? And my mentor, he really pumped me up too. He never tried to level me out. He was like, you are, man, you're the best. You're the future of the Church of Christ and all this type of stuff. Well, I wanted to go to culinary school. And uh, I don't know if you, I don't know if you knew that about me or not. No, I but, didn't know that. Yeah, so I actually um, kind of was torn to an extent because I really liked preaching and ministry, but I also wanted to be a chef because I love to cook. Well, I found out I like to eat really, but uh, and I like to cook <laughs> as long as somebody else cleans up for me. Which there you're you a go. chef, you know, yeah, you, you got to do everything. So when I went to culinary, I did go to culinary school straight out of high school for um, one semester or two quarters, and. During that time, our head chef told us that we have got we've got to take cooking seriously. And in one of our midterms, everybody failed. Every single student failed. And he he got up, you know, he went to the board. He goes, Okay, I'm gonna tell everyone got the same grade. And I'm thinking, hey, there's some guys who've already been sous chefs in here, and so this is gonna be good. You know, if everybody got the same grade, he wrote F on the board and circled it. It's like you all failed. <laughs> and uh, he gave us this this speech about how if you're gonna be a chef, we've all got to take it more seriously. And that if you have anything coming between you and being a chef, you need to quit today is what he said. He said, you're wasting my time and you're wasting your money. And so I went up to him afterwards and I said, how serious were you when you said that? And he's like, well, I'm, I'm very serious. I wasn't speaking hyperbolically or anything. I'm, I'm being dead serious. I said, well, you know, I'm a Christian and, and God comes first in my life. And I'm going to, I'm going to always be at church on Sunday morning, Sunday night and Wednesday night. And, you know, I kind of gave him this speech, a little 18 year old Kevin, you know, and, uh, <laughs> He said, well, he said, my advice is you quit. That's what he told me. He said, my advice is you quit then. And he said, it sounds like your heart's somewhere else. Um, so I did. <laughs> I quit. Wow, man. That's wild. <laughs> I literally quit. I, I called up my mom and dad and I said, I'm not going to be a chef anymore. And they're like, what? Like, what are you talking about? Because uh, of that, I was living in Birmingham, Alabama, which is about an hour and a half away from Huntsville where I grew up. And uh, it, it was just really funny, man, because they just kind of came as a shot. But I'm like, no, I'm serious. You know, I, I really think that 
this this was uh, I wouldn't call it a sign because I certainly wouldn't have believed in that type of stuff. But it was kind of confirmation that th- that's not what I needed to be doing. I needed to be preaching. And yeah. even while I was at school, I was still preaching um, on on Sundays and things of that nature. And even before I went to culinary school, as a as a young teenager, I was preaching at a church. I forgot to mention that, but I was preaching at this small country congregation. My my mentor, my friend's dad, he hooked me up with this small 30, 40 member church. And I was able to preach for them every Sunday for uh, for a couple of years, actually. So, so- I have a question for you then yeah. kind of in, uh, considering I have read your book and you and I have talked about this privately multiple times. I mean, I know where your story is going, but I do have a couple of questions that, that I'm curious about. So whenever you began to preach and of course the first le- lesson that you give, the first sermon you give is what if you die tonight in that moment, growing up in the home that you grew up in and even as passionate about your faith as what you were at the beginning of your ministry, how legalistic were you in your teaching, in your point of view, in your faith? Was that something that you started in that place and just gradually bolstered that and built upon it? Or is that something that would come about later because of other influences? Like, yeah. like how did that transpire? No, that's a great question. So mom and dad, they were not ever like me. <laughs> so, cause, cause people are like, man, we know your parents, you're nothing. You, you didn't this, th- that style of preaching is nothing like your mom or, or your dad. I'm like, you're exactly right. That didn't come from them. They didn't train me to, to preach like that. Some of that was me just independently me, but really most of that came from my mentor. Okay. Most of that came from him building me up saying we need, we need people like you. The brotherhood needs people like you. And so hearing him say those types of things, he then became my spiritual mentor. Okay. So my mom and dad, while I'm very close to them, and and you know, this is nothing, uh, not not a knock against my mom and dad, but they're not the in-depth, you know, Bible students, Bible scholars. My dad was never a preacher. You know, he doesn't have a degree in Bible or anything like that. Well, my friend's mentor, I mean, he was not only a preacher, but his degrees in biblical languages, his master's degree. I mean, he was a very, he, he was all about it. He was teaching me Greek and Hebrew when I was 16, 17 years old. And yeah. so to, to, like, that excited me. And I knew, well, I love my mom and dad, but they're not going to be able to really help me get to a higher level of, at least academics, like like speaking of knowing really the scripture. I mean, they can say, read your Bible more, we'll read together. But as far as like that in-depth grind out study, this mentor, man, he was the one who could provide that for me. And so he then kind of became the framework for which I viewed me. <laughs> like, yeah. who am I going to be? Who do I want to be? Um, he was the did, model that you were. You were. Yeah, he he was the one. If, on. There's a cookie cutter, man. I want I want it to be him. Okay, I want to. I, I I'm the dough, and let take him and cut me out. I want to be like him. And so I just really, really um, latched on to him and his style of teaching. And even when I was. Um, mm, and by the way, my mom and dad weren't big fans of this. I'll just I'll just go ahead and put that out there. Um, they kind of noticed how much I was um, starting to change my per- no not my personality. My personality really never changed, but starting to kind of be a little more aggressive and dogmatic and things. In fact, we you've probably heard of Gatlinburg Pigeon Forge before. I don't know yeah, if you've ever yeah. heard t- in Tennessee. Well, that's just, just a few hours away from where I grew up, so we would go a lot. That would kind of be our vacation spot. And so I remember 
going there um, Christmas and there was a Christmas show we were going to watch and they at the end had a nativity scene. Well, I told mom and dad, I was like, we need to, we need to leave. This is sinful. <laughs> this is wrong. And they're like, what are you talking about? You know? And I'm like, cause we didn't celebrate the birth of Christ. Even with my mom and dad, we didn't celebrate the birth of Christ, but I mean, we would go to shows and, and it wouldn't be like one of those things. Oh, we have to leave. It, it would just be like, even if we don't agree, like we can kind of sit. I'm like, no, no, this is supporting this show. This is wrong. And so I would like make them, you know, get up and leave. And uh, they're like, okay, you know, if you want us to leave, we will. I mean, we don't, we, we don't, we don't, once again, it's that support. You know, if this is what you think is right, we don't want to offend you. You know, you're our son, you're young. We don't want to, you know, we don't want you to think we're not willing to do the right thing. And so, um, th- but they kind of saw, I think they saw that and they never, they always allowed me to make my own choices, which I appreciate. And because that that's, I think, helped our always have, has helped our relationship continue, even when we disagreed. But they begin to see that. And at school, even, I got in trouble. Well, I didn't really truly get in trouble, but kind of got in trouble. I went to a Church of Christ school, private school. But a lot of the kids there were not a member of the Church of Christ at that time, or the ones that were. I believe they were unfaithful, either because they were out, you know, having sex and getting uh, getting drunk on the weekends, or they uh, they weren't a member of a sound and faithful Church of Christ. And so I started to believe my job was to correct everybody at that school, <laughs> which made for a really lonely senior year. <laughs> I can imagine you start telling everybody in your senior class, "Yay, you know, uh, I, you know, Jesus loves you," but right now you're gonna go going straight to hell. to hell because yeah, you're going to hell because. I mean, yeah, you're doing church wrong. Yeah, that's and, that's uh, not going to endear you to very well, many people. And I mean, I was so judgmentally. Like one girl one time, she said uh, in just passing, she she said, what the hell? And I said, excuse me? She was talking to somebody. She wasn't even talking to me. I just heard her. I said, what did you say? She said, I said, what the hell? I said, is that where you want to spend eternity? I said, because if you keep talking like that, that's where you're going to go. And uh, <laughs> so I was always <laughs> just doing that kind of garbage. But I was doing it thinking once again, it was the right thing to do uh, because it wasn't pleasant. I mean, I'm just going to tell you that right now. I didn't gain anything from that at all. I lost a lot of friends and I, I really could have had a lot a uh, lot better friendships and deeper relationships with people had I not been acting that way. But uh, in Bible class, in fact, in we had a guy who was a member of the Church of Christ teaching. And this one girl, she went to a Pentecostal church, so you'd be able to appreciate this. And she started saying that it doesn't matter what you do, as long as you love God and speak in tongues, you're going to be, you're saved. And I go, what? I said, I said, wait a minute. I said, what are you talking about? And I stood up in class and the teacher didn't know what to do because I just gave this passionate five minute sermon about how she's going to hell. And I said, speak in tongues right now, speak in tongues right now. And, and, uh, you know, so she, she, it was just this, it was all, it was crazy. So word got out that that had happened in class. And then people are just like, man, Kevin, just a jerk, you know? And, and, uh, and, and I was, but as I've said multiple times, and I say this in my book, I was a jerk for Jesus. I thought that's what I was supposed to be doing. So anyway, going back to, um, when I dropped out of preaching school, um, I, or I'm sorry, not preaching. So culinary school, I, um, after that, for about a year, year and a half, I worked with a little, I worked with a little country congregation. And then my mentor told me that, and I did some other things too, because I was just kind of figuring out what I really wanted to do. 
And so my mentor told me, he goes, well, Kevin, you can get a job. You already have a job as a preacher right now, but it's a smaller congregation. They can't pay you full time. You need to go and get a uh, preaching certificate. You need to go to a preaching school. He said, don't go to a university. Don't go to Freed Hardeman. Don't go to Lipscomb. Don't go to Oklahoma. Don't go to all these different Church of Christ uh, universities where you can get a degree because they're going to corrupt you. And I don't want you to be corrupted. So go to a preaching school. And he goes, and even preaching schools, you got to be, you got to be cautious because there's going to be some liberals there, I'm sure. And they're going to try to put your fire out for the Lord. Don't let them. So when you start teaching the truth and they begin to tell you, you need to calm down, you just call me and I'll take care of that for you because you don't need to calm down. You just need to continue to, to, to preach the way you're preaching. So I uh, ended up going to preaching school. And sure enough, within about the first two weeks, I already was getting into debates with people. <laughs> and uh, and I called him because, you know, we live about at that point in time, four hours apart, you know. So I kind of felt like I was on my own, but I would call him and I'd say, hey, I got in this bait, debate with so-and-so. And, you know, what what should I do? Was I wrong? Because sometimes I felt like I was being a little too aggressive. So I would call him to just see, and he'd go, oh, no, 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 no. You did the right thing. Keep doing what you're doing. Keep doing what you're doing. You know? Feeding the beast. And, oh, yeah, yeah. He's like, you know, I, I didn't see it, but there's no doubt in my mind, Kevin. I know the kind of guy you are, and and you, no, no. that They just got, if they got offended, they needed to get offended, and, and that kind of stuff. <laughs> so as time progressed, uh, I would get into all sorts of debates. Um, I, I mean, I wrecked havoc. It was the East Tennessee School of Preaching is where I went, and it's now called South uh, Southeast Institute of Biblical Studies, I believe, but which sounds a lot better than uh, East Tennessee School of Preaching. But it, it was a two-year school, and I, I mean, really, I wrecked havoc. Uh, I would get in debates all the time with my professors, and we would just discuss uh, all sorts of different things. And finally, one of the teachers just said, Kevin, can you please stop talking during my class? We can talk afterwards, but I've got curriculum I've got to get through here. Quit quit challenging me on every little thing I'm saying. I'm like, well, the Bible says test all things. And I think that even includes here in class, too. And, you know, so, I mean, I wouldn't even give someone an inch. When we were talking, there wouldn't be like, okay, I understand what you're saying. It's no, no, no. This is where it starts. This is the slippery slope right here. If you teach this stuff here, then without anybody opposing, it, what's going to happen? You know, if you're teaching, next thing you know, you got instrumental music and yeah, women preachers. So, and uh, so also while I was at school, there were certain teachers I liked more and certain teachers I liked less. And that usually uh, that revolved around which ones I agreed with and which ones I didn't. <laughs> but course. even they would disagree a lot in class. So I would, or not in class because they didn't teach with one another, but one would say one thing and then I would try to pin the teachers against each other a lot. So I would, or, you know, I kind of pit them against each other. I'd say, well, uh, earlier, one of our teachers said they believe in the literal indwelling of the Holy Spirit, but I think that you're actually preaching what the Bible says. And we need to talk to this other other teacher, this other professor about what he was saying earlier and, you know, all this type of stuff. But anyway, what really kind of, I, I think, was the defining mark for what would become the the old Kevin Pendergrass? Because at this point in time, people could still chalk it up to this was a young guy. I mean, this guy is barely in his early twenties. You know, he he's he's young. Most young guys, if if they have the right people whispering in their ear, they're gonna act like this. They're gonna be arrogant, and a lot of young younger preachers are arrogant. So I think people just kind of they they chalked it up to he's gonna grow out of this. There's gonna be a maturity within the next couple of years while he's in preaching school. No, it did not happen. It got worse. <laughs> so what really, the, the defining moment for me that I really continued to hang my hat on for many years afterwards is at Freed Hardeman University at Open Forum 
where there was a professor called Dr. Ralph Gil- named Dr. Ralph Gilmore, and he was talking about hand clapping and worship. Long story short, a lot of people know about this because it was very public. Um, I got up and it was called open mic, and I was the first one to the microphone, and I said, uh, Doctor uh, Doctor Gilmore, you need to repent for teaching it's okay to hand clap at times in worship songs. You need to repent. And Freed Hardeman needs to repent for allowing you this opportunity to espouse this false doctrine. And you could hear a pin drop among the, some 3,000 people in that auditorium. That's crazy, and people, people, so So people started clapping to mock me. They were like mocking me. You know, they were hand clapping <laughs> to mock me. So I kind of went away thinking, okay, I did the right thing. And as soon as it was over with, I had, it was like people were making a beeline. My professor's telling me I need to repent that I was wrong for what I did. Well, this was confusing to me, Lee, because I I was taught in preaching school that you correct false doctrine when given the opportunity. Well, I was given yeah. the opportunity, and I was taught in preaching school that hand clapping in worship is false doctrine. It's wrong to do that. It's a sinful practice. So I was putting one and one together. And I said, okay, if if it's wrong to teach that it's okay to hand clap, which the preaching school I was at had their own lectureship that had publicly taught it was a sin to hand clap. Yeah. And we're going down to another lectureship where a guy's saying it's okay to hand clap, and I've got the opportunity to correct him. And I'm wondering why the other guys aren't doing it. I'm wondering why the other the the older, wiser men aren't up here taking care of business like they're teaching us younger guys to do. So one of the professors came up to me afterwards, months, months after, and he said, you really exposed the underbelly of a lot of people. And, and he said, really, you exposed the underbelly of the way that the Church of Christ does a lot of things. That upset everybody. <laughs> yeah. Because you were, you're, you're making this challenge that, okay, either this is or this isn't a salvation issue. If it is a salvation issue, then we need to call it out for what it is. If it's not, we need to quit teaching it's a sin. But we've got to do one one thing or the other. So I, I of course, said I could have handled it better. I was nervous. You know, I I told him, yes, I, I'm sorry. I could have handled it a little bit better. But I was going uh, up against a guy who is well-known in front of 3,000 people. So I was nervous. But I did what had to be done. And but here's the thing. I didn't only get negative feedback from that. I got a lot of positive feedback. Yeah. And I had uh, churches call me and ask me if I needed financial support. They said, we want to we want to financially support you if you need it while you're in school. Whatever you need, you let us know, because these are the kinds of, of young men we need to be producing. You're the kind of guy that the Church of Christ needs, that the Brotherhood needs. And so I'm like, yeah, you know, I'm the man. You know, you're this, pumped that's, up, man. Yeah. In fact, the people telling me I was wrong and that I needed to to not be as harsh, that that affirmed and confirmed what my mentor had been saying, people are going to try to pour water on you. They're going to try to, 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 to get you to calm down. Don't do it. This, these are soft guys. We need men. We need true gospel preachers like the days of old calling people out, Kevin. And you're one of those guys. And so all of this just kind of made sense. And so I fit into that mold. I barely graduated, not because of the grades. I was one of the highest in my class, but because of, um, I, I, almost got kicked, I almost got kicked out several times. Yeah, I almost got kicked out several times. And uh, and they actually wanted me to. I did find out later from a professor that their plan was to make it so hard. This Now, this was 
I'm not making this stuff up. This is what a professor who worked there at the time told me after years later, uh, that their plan was to make it so hard on me that I would quit because they said that I was too much of a liability because the school actually lost money after I did that. And that's why they wanted me to apologize is because uh, they didn't want to lose. I said, you can apologize and say that's not where you stand, but then you would be lying because your own lectureship teaches this stuff. And I said, so if you want to apologize for what I did, go ahead, but I'm, I can't apologize for something I'm not sorry for. Am I sorry that I could have maybe didn't do it the best? Sure, I'll apologize. I'll, I'll take responsibility for that. I could have done it better, but I'm not sorry for what I said and what I did and calling on him to repent, which is what they had true issue with. So... And of course, well, I say that's true. There, there were that that was the issue, and then other people said, "Well, you could have talked to him afterwards." I said, "It's called open forum, guys. Like this isn't <laughs> called closed forum. It's called open forum." Uh, and I'm the reason why they quit having open mic. Now you have to text in your questions, and they kind of uh, go through and vet them. But um, so you know, I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing that came from that. But uh, anyway, I don't know why they would have that if they don't want people coming up. But uh, obviously. Looking back, I've definitely changed on that big time and have made a lot of apologies. But during that time, I thought I was doing the right thing and just saw a lot of inconsistencies, Lee. Um, I really did, man. And so when I started looking for a job, um, but anyway, well, before I go there, so what I was saying is that they did try to make my life very difficult so that I would, I would leave. That was the goal. Not everybody. Not all the professors, a couple of them. That was kind of their their end game was, okay, maybe Kevin will leave. And one of them actually told me that that what I did looked like something a student from the Memphis School of Preaching would have done, which was kind of our rivalry school, if you have that, uh, because Memphis was known as kind of the – the hardcore aggressive. Yeah, I mean, yeah. we believed the same things, but they were the ones that were kind of the – the tougher guys. And, uh, and I kind of question, yeah, maybe I should be going over there. You know, <laughs> maybe that that's more my speed, but, um, but my mentor actually said, no, don't do that. Don't quit. And I do appreciate him telling me that he goes, don't quit. Don't be a quitter. Do, just, just keep, keep doing what you're doing. He said, they want you to leave. Don't, don't allow that to happen. You know, keep doing what you're not doing. You've not done anything wrong. Keep doing what you're doing. Take the test. If you disagree with with their answer, write their answer and then write what the truth is beside their answer. So you're able to teach them while giving them feedback, knowing that you're listening to what they're saying, but then you're correcting it at the same time, which I did that a lot. Here's what you want me to say. Here's what the Bible actually says. Uh, so that was fun. The exit interview was really fun, boy. That was something else. <laughs> <laughs> what can we do to not have guys like you come? But uh, that, that was that was their quote. No, not really. Um, but I will say this. I mean, I was treated. I had a lot of great memories. I don't want people to think it was just a whole two. Years it was just war experience. the whole time. Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, be, because a lot of those guys, I, I, and I regret it. I wish if I would have done things different. I think I would have had really good relationships with a lot of those professors. Good men, good hearted guys. And uh, they just didn't know what to do with me. Um, and, and quite frankly, nobody did. And so when I started looking for a job, um, I immediately uh, started getting offers. And that, once again, that was just more that affirmation that I'm doing the right thing. That, you know, because people were saying, we saw what you did at Freed Hardeman. We want a guy like that. We want a sound 
preacher who is not afraid to teach truth. And by the way, what they mean is as long as you don't do that here is what I found out. You know, assuming you're going to do that against everybody we disagree with, but please don't handle us like that. You know, that's not what they said, but I would later go to find out. That's what most of them meant. I I like to say uh, everybody likes a good fight as long as it's not in their backyard. And, uh, you know, everybody likes watching it far away. Just just don't let it get too close. But people, they, they, they... liked that the, the the passion the fire behind what I was doing and so um, I got the, I, I ended up getting a job offer from uh, a program called the Gospel of Christ and they were needing at the time a fundraiser so someone to help market the the program help raise funds uh, come up with ways to go around different churches and, and, and just really market the the program. And then they said, you know, uh, we'll, we'll get, we'll let you speak on TV a couple times, see how the audience receives you, because we already have a speaker, but we'll let you maybe take a little bit of of the slots every now and then. So I came on and spoke twice, and uh, and the feedback was was really good, because of the audience, they liked that, they liked the fire, they liked the hellfire and brimstone. So they said, we're going to go ahead and just start putting you on uh, rotation. We're going we're going to let you speak half the time, and the other speaker speak half the time. Once again, that did nothing to help humble me. I mean, it, I mean, that was like, I'm the man. I am the man. And so um, that first year, I would go around to two or three churches and speak. And Well, actually, I did that for six years. But that first year when I did it, I mean, I was just feeling like I was the man. Everywhere I went. And by the way, a guest speaker always gets more compliments and praise because they're used to hearing the same person week after week. So when you have a new person come in and speak, you are going to get a lot of compliments. So I was the new speaker everywhere I went. And I just really, I mean, my ego was just so big. I don't know how I could get my head through the door. I thought I knew everything about everything. And it didn't help. Everyone was telling me, oh, you're so smart. You're so good. And you're just the best speaker. We need more people like you. And uh, so I started doing formal debating because I'm like, well, what else can I do? I want to do formal debating. Started doing formal debates. I was a jerk to everybody I ever formally debated. I've repented multiple times over. I've contacted everybody I had a debate with, apologized, repented, um, you know, to to every single person about how I wish I had handled things better in the debates. But I was a jerk when I did that. Um, and man, it was just six years of. I mean, there was a lot of things that happened. A lot of things that happened, but just six years of me just. Um, just going after folks. And we would go, one, one of the chapters in my book is called Church Church Crashers. Me and a couple of my friends, we used to go in with video cameras to different churches and we would record us, re, quote unquote, rebuking them and trying to have debates with them. And we would basically just bulldoze our way. We would just, we would interrupt them. We wouldn't let them have any time to speak. Imagine me talking a lot. Uh, <laughs> and but we would just we would just go in and uh, the probably the what comes to my mind, the story that I tell the most when I try to explain how far out there I really was with my approach is Brandon Johnson, actually, he doesn't mind me sharing this because I've shared this in public many times because he's changed as well. We've had him on the program. But he uh, he and I both, where he was preaching at the time, they had there was a local, Pentecostal church in their area. 
and they were having a healing service. And he called me up. He goes, hey, you want to go crash a healing service? I said, buddy, you better believe it, man. <laughs> and I know to some people they're going to say, oh, man, that sounds like you weren't doing it for the right reasons. But to us, we were saying those types of things in a sense of, yeah, we're going to go out there. And we're going to crash it. And we're going to teach them the truth. And we're going to say we're getting in there and we're doing the right thing. Someone's got to go in the there faith, and contend for the faith. We've got to go in there and contend means fight. And if that means we got to fight for what's right to be right in God's sight, well, we're doing it. Let's we were, go. Let's make we were this happen. girding up our truth. loins, man. Yes. We were girding up our loins. And so we went in uh, to this church and uh, this or this this congregation of the of the Pentecostal church, and they were having this healing service, and it said, "Come expecting a miracle on their sign." So we went in there, and they said, "If there's anybody in here, anybody at all who wants to be healed, come down for it." So Brandon at the time wore glasses. He's got contacts now, but he wore glasses at the time. He said. He said, okay, I'm, I'm going to go down forward and see if they can heal my sight, my eyesight. And uh, they go, what do you want us to do? He goes, well, I've got glasses. Can you heal me? And they go, oh, yes, we can heal you. So they're, the the pastor there got his hands, laid hands on them, called up for other members. Come on, anybody wants to, let's lay hands on them. And they were up there praying. And 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 it sounds horrible because, I mean, I was back there laughing. And uh, we were recording this. And... Some of this footage, man, I'm, I'm glad it never got too far out in the public. It's it's horrible. But I mean, we were just back there like, this is such a joke. And we were like making fun of them. We we're like, look look at these, you know, ignorant individuals thinking that that they're following God. I mean, they don't have a clue what they're doing, you know. they're look, look how stupid this is. And so they were up there just praying. I mean, so sincerely just up there doing this. And Brandon, he said, I still can't see without my glasses. You haven't healed me. Let's pray some more, you know. And they got and started doing this, and then he, he said, "Well, you know, you don't have faith. That's the problem. You've come here to test God tonight, haven't you?" I thought, "Oh boy, it's going to be fun." Now we're getting into a debate. So then, kind of, <laughs> you, you rope him. Oh it's my all. goodness, man! So he goes, "I could tell from the moment you guys walked in here, y'all weren't here for the truth. Y'all were here to test test God." I said, "I'm not here to test God. I'm here to test you." And I quoted 1 John 4, 1. I said, I'm here to test the spirits. I said, because I think you're a false prophet. I think you're a false teacher. I'm here to test you. Well, we had, Lee, so we, this is horrible. <laughs> we we had actually uh, brought, we had brought with us a bottle of, of uh, hydrogen peroxide. But we actually, we didn't label it as hydrogen peroxide. We called, we said that this was poison. And we, uh, we told them that they need to drink this, drink this poison and heal themselves. And that would prove to us that they were really operating from, from God's spirit and they had miraculous ability from God. It's all about Mark well, 16. You drink this poison. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Mark 16. Yep. Yeah, exactly. That's what we quoted. And he said, he said, well, no, you're testing God. Well, no, no, no. He said, y'all don't have enough faith. Y'all don't have enough faith. And I said, well, how much faith did uh, did Lazarus have when he was healed? I said, uh, he was so dead that he was he was smelling. I said, he was yeah. stinking dead. You know, we've all heard that joke. He was stinking dead. I said, so you're telling me that Lazarus, who was so dead he was stinking, Jesus healed him? I said, so he didn't have faith. I said, but let's go with that. So you're saying that the reason why you won't drink the poison is because we don't have enough faith, right? He goes, yeah. 
I said, well, Brandon here has enough faith to drink the poison right here, right now, if you've got enough faith to heal him. Well, Brandon had already practiced drinking this to make sure oh, that he wasn't. Snap. Yes. Oh, my goodness. So, I, I mean, this, guys, this is horrible. This is absolutely horrible what we're doing, but we thought this is what we're supposed So Brandon actually had it. He was about to drink. He goes, no, 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 don't do that. Don't do that. We're like, well, you don't have enough faith? Do you, do you, because we ha- he has enough faith to drink this. You're saying you don't have enough faith to heal him. Of course, he didn't know it really wasn't poison. But uh, long long story short, he said, I'm going to call the police right now. He said, you guys are crazy. I'm going to call the cops. So we, we actually ended up having to leave. Yeah, you were pretty crazy. Um, so, yeah. So so people here, they're like, man, this. I, I, I was really doing these things because we were trying to expose them as false teachers, right? Um, if anyone's ever heard of Johnny Robertson, I used to hang out with him. I used to be on his show, What Does the Bible Say?, we would go into different uh, different denominational churches as well and go in there and do the same type of stuff. We would debate people on live TV. We would challenge people. Or we would go to churches during the day, debate with their pastors, record it, and then we would put it on TV, and then we would talk about it and make them look, you know, we would make them look foolish because we were able to, 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 to edit and cut. Yeah, and we, and even when we didn't edit, we caught them off guard. So a lot of times they would be angry and mad and we would say, look at how angry they were. Look at how if they had the truth. They wouldn't be this angry. It was just horrible, man. I mean, I, I have uh, repented and repented and, and just asked God to forgive me of that. And here's what people need to understand. When I tell all these crazy radical stories, the way I did things, I really thought this is what I needed to be doing because I would go to passages in the Bible. I would say, well, John the Baptist, look at what he did. He was calling people out. Paul was yelling. He was calling people out. Paul was telling people to cut their penises off. I hadn't told anybody to do that. Not yet. Um, <laughs> not yet at that point. There was all this that we see in the Bible of, of them trapping false teachers so, so me going in there and my friend Brandon going in there and, and we had another guy who went in there with us to record it. A couple other guys. I said, you know, we weren't doing anything that's not biblical. Yeah. It, it may, it may seem to be soft or it may seem to be hard to a soft culture, but we're just being Jesus to people, man. All we're doing is following the Bible. You know, yeah. I mean, when, when you had Elijah and he, he was going up against the prophets of Baal, I mean, he was sarcastic. He was rude. He said, where's your where's your gods? Are they out taking a doo-doo? I mean, what where, where's your gods at right now? And so when you, when you look at all of this, you can see why I was able to justify it and why I'm so adamant about uh, looking at the Bible and making sure we're framing it properly because I was, I was the result of, of going to the Bible with an expectation and allowing that expectation to be my guide. And that expectation was never challenged. Maybe there's another way to understand the Bible. I never thought about that because there wasn't. There was one way to understand the Bible, and that is to use it, to go to the Bible. If I could find a Bible verse, and by God, you better believe we could find Bible verses for, for people acting harsh and people being ugly and unkind to one another. And so we use those to justify our actions. So, um, what all changed? (laughs) Well, I mean, if anyone has listened to this podcast for any period of time, I think that they know and they're aware everything has changed because man, and and one thing that I think is a really important point that we, we can't possibly belabor too much is that sincerity, everybody that operates within a faith paradigm does so sincerely. 
And I can remember a preacher within the one cup group who was a very, very, his style of speaking reminds me a lot of yours. Very bombastic, very lots and lots of charisma. And he's a fast talker. I mean, just a very entertaining speaker. He's a very good speaker. And I've heard him give some really, really good sermons. And he held a lesson for us once at our church. And he was talking about the digressives, which is what you were, because you guys use more than one cup in the communion. Um, but he was talking about how a lot of people are sincere, but they don't really know what they believe. They don't really know what the Bible really says. But those digressives, they know what the Bible says about the cup. Oh, and yeah. They just ignore it and they'll lie to you about it. And I remember even then being put off by that perspective. It's like, well, how how is that the case? Are they not any less sincere than what you are in their beliefs? It's it, it just it boggled my mind. But that type of attitude, especially what you experienced in which all of the bad qualities, you might say, are being um, promoted. All of the ego and your pride is all being massaged. It's all oh, being yeah, pumped yeah. up. And what was the point that you came to that that started that changing process for you? I know you talk about it in the book, but at, at this point, you are so hardcore and you are so convinced and convicted yeah. that you know you're well, doing all these things in good conscience. So what was yeah, yeah. the and first this, domino that fell for you? Well, and this is why, because because people look at me and they go, "Why why do you still have compassion for people who are legalist?" I said. I said, look, because I, I know the system better than anybody. If, if like, I understand how easy it is to get caught up in that mindset. If, if, you know, I've never had cancer, but I can still have empathy toward people who have, but not like someone who actually has gone through it, especially someone who maybe has fought it for many, many years. I mean, that's why there's support groups. People have gone through the same things, right? I've gone through, the the I won't say the the furthest depths of legalism because I never killed anybody I never physically harmed anybody or anything like that I almost did get into a couple of fist fights not on my n- not me I actually almost did get punched a few times you're poking um, that bear brother oh yeah. yeah yeah I mean when I went I mean I would challenge people and then people almost uh, several times I mean I almost got what the one time that I literally almost got punched at a church was when I was I was a uh, this was when I was in preaching school, man. Okay. I this this whole lesson or this whole episode makes me horrible, man. But I, I once again, I want to reiterate, guys, please understand. I did these things thinking I was supposed to be doing them. But there was a when I was in preaching school, I worked about six months for a church as a uh, pretty much just kind of as an understudy with the main preacher there. And he was constantly discouraged and feeding me all of the junk he should have not been feeding me, letting me know what was really going on. Well, I'm like, we got to fix this, man. We got to fix, we got to clean this stuff up. So there was an, an elder there who had been going to a, another church and missing his own, his own church service because he's going to this other congregation where his family went that was deemed a very liberal church of Christ. Well, he did this time and time and time again. So finally, I approached him with the preacher and the other elder, and I told him, you need to repent. 
And uh, he said, uh, he laughed. He goes, what are you talking about? I said, you're wrong. I said, you need, and, and by the way, there were some other things going on too. I mean, he, he was doing some things that he shouldn't have been doing. Not not as far as um, like immoral or anything, but he, he he shouldn't have been an elder. I'll just put it to you that way. Even now, I mean, his, I would look back and say he had no business being an elder. Um, the way he handled some things. And, uh, but um, I told him he had, a, he had a temper and that was one of the main things. I told him like, man, you know, uh, and I knew that that was probably going to set him off when I, when I approached him. And that's why nobody was approaching him. I mean, he's going to be mad. I said, I'm not scared of this guy. If he hits me, he hits me. I'll be persecuted for the, for the sake of Christ, you know? <laughs> so, uh, so I went in there and we had this meeting first. He said, they, you know, he's, he just kind of like, man, what are you talking about? You know, you're, you're this little, little kid. In those kid. Yeah. yeah. What do you so, know? Uh, so I said, well, I'm giving you two weeks, man, I'm giving you two weeks to repent. <laughs> <laughs> and so he just kind of brushed off. Well, two weeks comes by and I said, have you repented yet? And he just smiled at me. Uh, not, not in a nice way, but just kind of like in this, like, like in a menacing like, Get off, manner. Man. What are you talking yeah. about? I said, okay. I said, I warned you. <laughs> and so he, he was there with his family and I had the opening prayer that morning. It's probably at that time, 150 member, 250 member church. I had the, I had the opening prayer. I got up there and prayed and I brought his name up in the prayer. <laughs> and I said, oh, we all know, dude. and I'm not going to say his name. Probably nobody would know who it is, but I'm not going to say his name. I said, I'm just going to call him John. It's not his name. And I said, you know, brother John is here this morning and we all know he's, he's not been faithful. And I have gone to him. I have tried to get him to repent. Others at this congregation have gotten him. And I pray that this morning will be the time where he will come down forward this morning after the ser- after the sermon's over and that he will repent. This is the opening prayer, okay? So I go back and sit down. You and, really set the stage for the rest of the oh service. Good my job. Goodness. Yeah. Well, he gets up, man. He gets up and uh, goes to the back. And I'm just sitting there, you know, I'm just acting like everything's cool, you know. I'm, I'm just, just singing, you know, doing my thing and being the faithful disciple of Jesus I am. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, after after it was over with, um, like after, boy, he came up to me and, and he grabbed me. He said, boy, I ought to punch you right now. A couple of people had to get in between us. Then his wife came up to me and she said, she said, boy, she said, I wish I could take you out back right now to the shed and just wear that bottom out. And I said, oh, I said, and of course, once again, being old Kevin Pendergrass, I said, oh, I said, you think that's being Christ-like? And uh, I said, you think that's what Jesus wants to do is just go out and wear people out? I said, that's what you need to do is, is uh, be, be getting on to your husband. And, uh, and I said, you need to repent, too, for, for allowing him to lead you to this erring congregation when y'all are supposed to be shepherd. He's supposed to be shepherding this flock. Anyway, um, that, that was horrible. I need, needless to say, I was no longer the understudy at that church after that <laughs> Sunday. Uh, but here's the thing. Here's the thing people have to have to realize. That preacher who was older, he was, I think at his time, you know, in his 50. So, I mean, he was more than twice my age at that time. I was do, I, I did the stuff that I, like people were telling me how bad he was and all this stuff. So I'm thinking, well, something's got to be done about this, right? I mean, the Bible says rebuke people. And I went to him. The Bible says go to him. I went to him, went to him a couple times, had people with me. I was just doing what I think I was supposed to be doing. And so when people are like, how could someone ever get to the point of being like old Kevin Pendergrass? 
it's crazy, but you can get there very easily when you're put in the right situations. And when you're truly hearing this stuff and you're convicted, you're supposed to do something about it. And he even told me, the preacher's like, man, somebody needs to do something about this. I'm like, and I even told him, I said, I'm just the understudy here. I can get away with this. I don't have to worry, right? Like you, you could lose your job if you do this. So I'll do this for you. And uh, so anyway, going back to, you asked me why I changed. What was the first thing? Um, there wasn't just really one thing. It, it was a progression over many, many years. And But the first, the very first thing that, that I talk about in my book that caused me to, um, to start questioning is realizing that I was wrong on a topic. I know that sounds crazy, but up until that point, I didn't really believe I could be wrong on anything because I thought I had already studied all my beliefs. Well, you had all these yes heads in your ear, just giving you all the attaboys and all the praise. And you don't have, at this point, you don't have anyone really reining you in. And if they, there was anyone trying to rein you in, it's they're in the, the vast minority for the circles that you were involved in. Yeah. Yeah. It, well, yeah. I mean, it's, it's. <laughs> It's one of those things where I had no reason to question my beliefs. They were working for me. I was getting paid very well. I, I'm still not making the kind of money. I've mentioned this before. You know, I'm still not making the kind of money I was making when I was doing that. I got paid $1,500 for a 30-minute lesson one time and on top of my salary. Wow. And it was, um, oh, yeah, a lot of times I would, on top of getting paid for being, well, well let me back up here because once again, I'm jumping all the way around here. But um, when I worked for the Gospel of Christ, I came on as as the person who was supposed to do their marketing fundraising. And then I became the speaker and I kept doing the marketing fundraising. And then I ended up becoming the director of the program. And I was the director for about three years. I was there total for give or take about six years, a little, a little over six years is how long I was there. And I was the director for uh, a little over half that time. And so the more that I did these things, it was reinforcing the more it needed to be done because I felt like nobody else was doing these things. And I was getting a huge following, at least huge according to where I was at. Right. I mean, yeah, you know, being on TV and having, you know, our audience of 10,000, 20,000 people seemed like a really big thing. Yeah. You're a big fish in a little pond. Exactly. Exactly. And so I felt like, but you know, I, I, this is why I'm, I'm, I'm essential. Like God needs me. Jesus needs me to do his work. And I really believed that. And I really cared. This is going to sound crazy. I really cared about people. I really did. But the way that manifested itself was so dangerous. Guys, this is why we have this podcast. This is why I write these books. I know. That's why I call it a different kind of poison because it is poisonous. And it's not It's not the fake kind of poison either. It's the real kind of poison, man. It's really bad. And, and I get it. I understand it. I lived it. That's why. That's why I'm so passionate about this topic and why I believe we've, we've got to change things. Um, to, to, even if we don't agree to a more respectful, a more loving, kind way of living, a compassionate way of living, even when we do disagree with one another. Um, but all of that, all of that was based upon my understanding of the Bible. And as you pointed out, I had a lot of yes men. I had a lot of people there telling me you're doing the right thing. I was getting raises from the church I was at. We were making money. Um, the, like the gospel of Christ was blowing up financially, making more money than ever made. People were like, this is the program we want to support. And we were going after other programs. We're like, look, you're going to support gospel broadcasting network. You're going to support all these other works. They're not, they got a, they got a bunch of sissies preaching. 
You want you want true gospel preaching. You support the gospel of Christ, and so that was kind of what we started. That was our niche. That's what that was kind of our marketing ploys. We're the ones who are going to bring the truth. We're going to bring, and not only are we going to bring the truth, we're going to bring it forcefully. Because all these other guys, by the time they get done, they may have the truth, but they've wrapped it in so much sugar you can't even tell what it is. And one of my favorite sayings is that we're our speech is to be seasoned with salt, not sugar. And sometimes salt, that can sting a little bit when you pour it in a wound. So sometimes it's going to hurt when we season our speech with salt. I had all sorts of little one-liners, man. but um, and, and just little things I would say. And, and people loved it. People loved it. One of my favorite sayings I used to say when I was that way, I, I, it's ridiculous now because it's so super, uh, so superficial. But I used to say, well, I hear people saying that uh that, that Kevin Pintergrass is a legalist. Well, I'd rather be legal any day than illegal. How about you? And, uh, you know, just stupid stuff like that. And so that's why that stuff, does, looking at it now, I mean, it's a joke. But it, a lot of people fall for it. They really do. And I fell for it myself. Um, but, okay, so what caused me to change is I was studying for a debate. And I don't actually talk about what this issue is in the book, but I'll talk about it very briefly here. Um, I was studying for an issue. Uh, I was studying for a, a debate on the Lord's Supper and how often you have to partake the Lord's Supper. And I was actually debating a, sa- a Sabbath keeper, Sabbatarian. And so we were having this uh, debate, you know, six, eight, six, seven, eight months in, in advance. So I had plenty of time to study for it. During my studies, uh, one of the verses I always used was 1 Corinthians 16, 1 and 2, where Paul says, lay by a store on the first day of every week, and I'll come pick it up. And I'm like, okay, that's that's one of the passages I'm going to use to show. On the first day in the Greek, it's every first day of the week. It's a pretty strong point. Well, as I studied that, and I don't want to get too much into this because we're going to do some other episodes on, on giving and what the Bible has to say about that. But I started realizing, okay, well, this doesn't really add up because at that point, I still believe Christians were meeting on the first day of every week. But I realized that this was a giving that was not given to every church. Like Paul was telling them, he was just soliciting a few churches to help him. And then he said, he's going to come pick it up. And there was no evidence biblically or extra extra biblically that showed that they continued to give on the first day of every week. So I came to the conclusion this was a limited contribution. It was limited in its purpose. It was limited in which congregations did it. It was limited in duration. It was limited in purpose because it was they weren't collecting it for themselves. You know, we, were, we people use that to say, oh, this is, you know, we come together and further the kingdom and pay the preacher and the electric. But no, that's not what this contribution, that contribution had one, one goal and one goal, and that was to help the needy saints in Jerusalem. And it wasn't to help their bills at church or their preacher and because those things didn't exist. It was to help, literally help them because of the situation they found themselves in. Yeah, so they wouldn't starve. There was a, yes, they need, they needed, they needed help. So what happened after Paul came to pick it up? Well, that was it. There wasn't a continuation of a first day of the week assembly or first day of the week giving that was mandatory. And that, and then I, in 2 Corinthians, I even realized that, you know, that one wasn't even mandatory. Paul said, don't do this out of compulsion. Just do this if you want to do it. But I read from Guy in Woods. You've probably heard of Guy in Woods before. Oh, yeah. I'm sure. I've got some of his well, books. Uh, Guy in Woods took this same position because when I, when I started studying this, I thought, man, this, this just seems wrong. Like, there's five acts of worship, and I'm about to to to, to you're about to, to chop the thumb off the of the five. <laughs> yeah, and so oh no, what, you know, what's going on here? So um, uh, I, I was studying and studying. Actually, I didn't know Guy and Woods brought this up, but I was studying this with somebody else, and they go, um, they go, yeah, I need to study that, Kevin. That makes a lot of sense. But 
you know, I don't know. I want to look at what some other, some, some older, wiser brethren have said. I'm like, well, you need older, wiser brethren. We got we got the Bible. That's all we need, right? Uh, so uh, he he went and came back to me a few few weeks later and says, did you know Guy Woods believed this too? The question and answers uh, book. In fact, I think I still have it, but he believes this too. And uh, I go, really, Guy and Woods? I mean, that's like a that's better than Jesus, right? I mean, you have a divine stamp of <laughs> approval. You got Guy and Woods on your side. Uh, he's a giant in the brotherhood. So now I'm like, okay, well, but that meant I was wrong. Like that that meant that I had been using this passage. And by the way, at that time, I was teaching that that's still a good principle passage, right? I mean, because I still believed you had to come together on the first day of the week, take the Lord's Supper. And that's why I believe Paul was telling them to do that because that was when they were already meeting. So that would make sense that Paul would call on these churches who were already meeting and say, hey, by the way, can you can you take up a collection for a little while? I'm going to come pick it up. We got some needy saints in Jerusalem who need it since you're already meeting on the first day of the week. So I still used it that way. And so even though it was a, it kind of seemed almost like a nuanced point, to me it was a big deal because I had been using this to teach you have to give on the first day of every week because of 1 Corinthians 6, 1 and 2. And I no longer believe that anymore. That didn't Likewise, cause yeah. that didn't cause a big change. Like like that wasn't like wow, I've been doing everything wrong. No, no, no. What it did though is it made me realize if I could be wrong on that, what else may I be could could I be wrong on? Yeah. That was halted, however, as I continued to study because that then became my token issue to say. When someone's like, Kevin, have you changed on anything? Yeah, I have. I'm an honest Bible student. I've changed on this one issue. <laughs> so that almost became kind of my way of like feeling like I was a balanced guy. Like, well, yeah, you know, I, I could be wrong on some things. Uh, I've been wrong on the contribution, so I'm willing to admit I've been wrong. Right? <laughs> you know, so it's these little things that I really point out. So that kind of almost halted, halted it for a while because it, I had a debate in 2012 on instrumental music. And... It's still on YouTube. I've I've personally taken it down. I've had others take it down who've put it up, but people keep putting it up. Um, last I checked, someone told. Well, I didn't. Someone actually told me it's still up. Um, if you want to see how from 2010, by the way, 2010 is when I had that epiphany that I, I was could be wrong on something. Two years later, in 2012, you can see how I'm debating. So you can see there wasn't really a huge change. There's I not mean, a big change that's happened. No, nobody point. really noticed there was a change. And even really, I didn't. It was still just kind of in the back of my head. I could be wrong on something because I had been wrong on something. But I identified it and I corrected it, you know. Um, but here's what that did do. Kind of put me in an opposition with a lot of people who did believe 1 Corinthians 16, 1 and 2 was a binding command. Because now I'm having to tell them, well, this isn't a salvation issue. Very convenient, right? Like, oh, no, no, because I don't believe it. It's not a salvation issue. <laughs> Usually people who say something's not a salvation issue means that they don't believe that uh, the particular conclusion that other people generally believe. And so they want to say, but it's not a salvation issue because I know everybody else believes this, but I believe something different, but we shouldn't divide over it. Well, of course I don't believe that because I, I'm not the one who's holding the power. I'm not the one that's holding the majority view. So I'm going to try to tell people this shouldn't be a salvation issue. Um, but I, I had to fight against that a little bit. I had to fight against that a little bit because I started coming up against people who were like, well, Kevin, I heard you don't believe in the five acts of worship. I said, oh, no, 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 I believe in the five acts of worship. I said, I just think we have to be careful with how we use 1 Corinthians 16, 1 and 2. 
And I said, but, you know, this isn't a salvation issue. If someone wants to use that to just kind of like the one cup, you know, if, if, if I said, I still believe giving is an, is an act of worship. And if someone wants to use one container for the Lord's Supper, then they can, you know, that's nothing wrong with that. But it's, it's still, we still partake of the Lord's Supper. And I was trying to just rationalize it with people. And that helped for a little while until some people who didn't like me, and you better believe while I had a following, I had a whole lot of people who hated my guts who wanted to see Kevin Pendergrass fall in one way or another. So they start hearing Kevin's a false teacher on this one issue. And uh, there, there becomes a little, you know, there's a few little fires that flare up every now and then at churches. Because, I, I mean, during my stint at the Gospel of Christ, I preached at almost, I preached at over 300 different churches of Christ while I was there. So it wasn't like my group was just one church. I mean, I, I had people all throughout the U.S. And so yeah, even, nationwide. Even, even if something happened, it was no big deal. It was like, okay, well, that's just one group of people. I've got all this other support, you know, no big deal. Um and then I started accusing them of not being good Bible students. Well, you're not, you're, you're closed minded. <laughs> Kevin Pendergrass calling somebody closed minded in 2012 is a joke, <laughs> but you know, you're closed minded. You're not willing to listen to the truth. And once again, that made me feel like I was in a good place because I'm willing to change. Right. So, um, anyway, I, I mean, there's so much we could go to. I'll just kind of, kind of summarize it and kind of get to the end here. But, um, Time continues to, to keep passing, and it gets to the point where I really begin to question question salvation issues. You know what? What is a salvation? What is a salvation issue? issue, and how in the world are we determining that? Because I've preached at three hundred different churches of Christ, and I can guarantee you that they don't all agree on the same list of issues that they would all deem as being salvational. I mean, there's going to there there would there would be overlap, but there would also be a lot of disagreement. Uh, I went to churches who believed it was wrong to chew, but not or, excuse me, wrong to smoke tobacco, but not chew tobacco. I went to churches who believed it was wrong to chew and smoke to tobacco, but not uh, drink alcohol as long as it's in moderation. I went to churches who had who uh, no, I never went to church out of praise team. Um, I went to churches who uh, who who believed though that they could have praise teams, and we would get into discussion. I went to churches who believed gambling wasn't wrong. Churches who believed it, it was um, issues on marriage, divorce, and remarriage. Issues on qualifications of elders. Issues on worship. Issues. I mean, I mean the, can you clap? Can you clap after baptism? Can you clap after speaker? Can you clap when worship songs? I mean, can you have choirs sing after closing prayer? Can you have them sing before? All these different issues. And by the way, my new book, I actually do get into that. I name, I think, 115 specific issues in my new book. So my new book, I really do get into more detail. I do talk about the Church of Christ in my new book. But I once again, I try to do so in a way that's not disrespectful. Keep in mind, I still attend a Church of Christ. Lee still attends a Church of Christ. So I'm not anti-Church of Christ in any sense of the term. I am anti-people uh, who are being led away uh, led away from Jesus by a what I believe to be a very dangerous framework of, of understanding the Bible. But that just really bothered me. I didn't know how to determine whether an issue is a salvation issue or not. So I just started coming up with all these ways. Okay, well... You know, if, if it's a worship issue, if it's a moral issue, if it's a salvational issue, okay, well, what does that look like? I mean, once again, I'm just using the same words just in different ways. You know, what uh, to say that something's a salvation issue if it affects your salvation is just restating it. That's not, it's not giving a, an answer. So um, 
I really started having problems with this, especially when it came to the qualifications of elders, because there are all sorts of different views on the qualifications of elders. Oh yeah. And it's, I mean, that rabbit hole is one that goes. Oh miles yeah. Yeah. Deep, I mean, fa- faith, faithful children. What well, is that? How many children does that mean? And does that mean that they have to be faithful in the household when they grew up? Do, or, you know, what does it mean? They all have to be faithful. How many children do you have to have? If you have two, do, does two of them have to be faithful? Or is it good if just one has one is faithful because children can, can mean just one. I mean, it, just all sorts of different things. And that's just on one of the that's just one. Yeah. So you, you start getting into that, uh, which now I take a completely different view on even how to understand qualifications of elders. But anyway, uh, most of the Church of Christ, who I associated with, didn't, and that they believed that was a strict list to be followed. So I was at a lectureship, and they were talking about instrumental music and how it's a sin, and that's a salvation issue. And at the lectureship, I raised my hand. It was open forum. People, people got to quit inviting me to open forums, but it was open forum. They'll and, learn one uh, day. And they uh, so are not inviting me, but letting me come when there is going to be an open forum. Um, so I, I, but this this one I actually asked in a very nice way. And it was a sincere, really sincere question. There was no rebuking going on. I said, we've been talking this whole lectureship about instrumental music and why we believe it's a sin and why we believe it's a salvation issue. I said, and I agree with that because at that time I did. And uh, this was probably 2012, 2013. I said, but my question is, what about qualifications of elders? Something as important as an elder, shouldn't that be something that we, we the Bible is clear on and that we, we should be able to agree on? And there was a panel at this open forum, so it wasn't just one, one guy, it was three guys up there. I said, what are the qualifications of elders and why is this not a salvation issue? They kind of looked around and... They said, who wants to answer this question? And one of them finally said, well, <laughs> if we could answer No that, hands went up. And one of them said, well, if we could answer that question, um, I forgot exactly what he said. He just made a funny joke. He said, well, if I can make, you know, answer that question, I'd be the best preacher in the brotherhood or something. And everybody kind of laughed. I said, no, I'm being serious. I said, so if you say we can disagree on qualification of elders, well, what if I say that a man doesn't have to be married at all? Can we disagree on that? Because if you're saying qualifications of elders are not salvation issues, then what you're saying is any qualifications are okay. And if not, then once again, you're drawing a line and you're going to have to draw that line consistently. Yeah, if not, said, why so, not? So either the qualifications of elders are a salvation issue where we would all have to agree in order to be in fellowship with one another, or we would have to say that's not a fellowship issue, which means we can agree to disagree on the qualifications of elders. So that, uh, and their follow-up to that was, well, that's good questions, you know, but uh, our, bro- our brotherhood disagrees on this issue and we've been able to exist in disagreement on this issue for, you know, for, for many years. So the, the answer was there is no answer. Um, we're just going to act like it doesn't exist. We're going to minimize it and, and, and move forward to talk about instrumental music because we all agree that that's a sin, don't we? Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, and, and that brought up, okay, well, what, why do we agree? Why do we believe certain things are sin? And certain things are not just sin, but certain things are salvation issues. And that just continued, continued. I mean, I just kept coming back to that. And finally, I started to look at my own life and my own inconsistencies. I looked at I looked at my own sinfulness. And, you know, I talk about um, how uh, I was a porn addict in the book, too. And, uh, you know, this was a secret sin, but it was something that I believed, well, every time I lusted, you know, I just asked God to forgive me. So I was okay, but I never changed. I never overcame it. I eventually overcame it, but it was something that I started to look at my own 
human fallibility and sinfulness. And I thought, I'm preaching this standard of right and wrong that I'm not even living in. So either that makes me a hypocrite or it means that maybe I need to readjust what I'm teaching. Well, my first conclusion was that just makes me a hypocrite. I need to do better. (laughs) Of course. And so... So I kept, you know, trying to do better in every aspect of my life. I, I thought, well, I need to pray more. I wasn't always a great prayer. I needed to pray more. I needed to study more. I needed to control my mind. I needed to quit lusting. I needed to, you know, quit doing these things that were wrong. And uh, it, and, and then it, you know, came down to, am I being consistent with who I'm fellowshipping? <laughs> and it just, it, it finally became too much where I started realizing that what I'm teaching is not consistent. I, it's just not consistent. Um, it was, was I a hypocrite? Sure, but everybody's a hypocrite. And I'm not saying that in a way to justify everybody's sins. What I'm saying is nobody can live up to the type of standards that I was preaching or that, or that my, my cohorts and my friends were preaching. Nobody could live up to that because we were having conversations behind closed doors about how we can't live up to these kind of standards. Yeah, we're still going to teach it anyway and act like we're abiding by it. We're going to act like we're these spiritual giants, even though deep down we weren't able to live up to this stuff. And and so it was it was not really one issue. It was just, it, I would say, between my realizing that I was wrong back in 2010, started it a little bit. It kind of just chipped away. It just kind of missed, it made a dent. But then the next couple of years, they really didn't go too much further than that. But then it started picking back up again, 2012, 2013. Um, little things. In the debate on instrumental music, I've talked about this. Jason Weatherly, he, I brought up how the early church didn't use instrumental music. He gave me all these stats in the debate where they did. And I'm like, crap, what am I supposed to do with this? And I'm thankful that uh, I didn't have to speak after him. He closed the night out with that speech. And so I looked at my moderator. I go, did you know any of this? He goes, no. I said, I didn't either. He goes, good thing you're done for the night. I said, I know. (laughs) (laughs) But that was still there. It didn't change my view on instrumental music that night, but it made me realize I don't know everything. There's a lot that I haven't explored. There's a lot of things I haven't considered. I've, there's a lot I haven't experienced. There's a lot I haven't studied. There's a lot of perspectives out there. I didn't even know about, I didn't know about all this stuff. So it was just a lot of that, a lot of that. And um, so in 2014, here's really where everything happened. Um, People, if they really want to know what happened, this is, you're about to find out. So 2014 uh, rolls around. And at that point in time, uh, we were not happy with the way, and when I say we, me and a, me and a few others, um, we're not happy with the way things were going with the gospel of Christ as far as the eldership who was overseeing it at the time. We felt like they weren't heavily involved in it. And we knew that as we, as we got, if we were going to keep being controversial and aggressive, we're going to one day get in trouble. And we did not want the, and when I say in trouble, what I mean by that is the, the eldership who was overseeing the work was eventually going to tell us to tone it down. And so um, at that point in time, I realized, okay, I don't want my job to be uh, predicated on, you know, making sure these these elders who aren't even involved in the gospel, truly involved in, I mean, they really weren't, they gave money and they were kind of the quote unquote overseeing congregation, which means jack squat um, at, at most works. Whenever you say, oh, they're the overseeing, call them up and say, what exactly do you do on a day-to-day basis? 
Um, and by the way, they're good men. I'm not, I'm not knocking them at all. Good men, but they, they didn't do anything with the work. They weren't, I was the one out making the money. I was the one out fundraising for it. Uh, me and the other guy, we were the speakers for the work. We had, we, there was another guy recording. So, I mean, they, they, for, theoretically they oversaw it. Practically there, there wasn't anything there. So we decided we needed to get them out. We, they, they did not need to be a part of the gospel of Christ. We needed, we needed to, to have more control of this thing because it was growing. And, and we started to, to, to come up against more controversy uh, as we were growing. And several churches were pulling their support. Other churches were giving us more support. You know, we started seeing there's a war going on here. We need to make sure that we're, we're, we're in a good position here to fight it when it comes. And of course, that war illustration again, you know, it's always, everything's always a fight. It's always a fight. It's always, it's a, fight. always a battle. And, yeah. and we're always on the right side. You know, I was always on the right side. So we had this, we had this meeting with the, uh, with the eldership there. And, um, we, we got them to resign actually. And, uh, we got, uh, new board members and got a, uh, a, another church to be the overseeing sponsoring church, which is nothing more than a, uh, that, that was nothing more just to appease people's minds that it's, oh, it's associated with, with a congregation, you know? Well, when people heard that there was not an eldership who oversaw the gospel of Christ, people started saying, well, that's unauthorized. You're a para church organization. You're a para organization. And this is, there's no authority for that. You know, you've got to have eldership overseeing it. And the main guy who started this controversy went to a church, a congregation who didn't even have elders, which I thought was really funny. Um, I said, dude, I said, you're, you're a para organization based on your own definition, you know? And uh, so they're like, well, the sponsoring church you attend, they don't have elders. I said, well, your church doesn't either, you know? And so he started causing all sorts of problems and uh, telling people, you know, the gospel of Christ is a para organization. It doesn't, it doesn't have, um, it, it doesn't have eldership overseeing it. It's unscriptural. It's unscriptural. Well, that was so stupid to me because I mean, even, even as a hardcore legalist, I was like, that's ridiculous. You don't have to have overseeing elders, you know, for, for to do the work of the Lord. I mean, there, there's nothing in scripture that teaches that. And many churches of Christ do not have elders. And so I just thought that was ridiculous, you know? And so I started trying to make all these arguments with guys because it start, at first I didn't think it was going to affect us. But then churches started calling us up. Well, why are you no longer under an eldership? Why are you? I said, well, if you want to know the honest reason, I said, because they weren't involved. And I said, I don't think it's right to have guys who are considered board members. Yeah, who yeah. Uh, they're, they're not, you know, if something were to happen, they would be responsible for it. They don't even know what's going on half the time. Once again, great men, good guys. Um, but, you know, they we're, we're the ones who are the day in and day out. So we had on the board who were overseeing it. Um, people thought I was, I said, I can't, I'm an employee. I can't, I can't be on the board of a nonprofit. Um, so the way that things were structured. So, uh, the, the board members were, um, were, were, it was Brandon Johnson. Um, good friend of mine. We, we can already see where this, this, uh, deck is being stacked, right? (laughs) Um, I basically hand chose the board members, literally. I I wasn't on that board, by the way. Yeah, no, you weren't. Um, you'd probably thought that was unauthorized, but, um, he was, he was one, um, my best friend, Terry was, uh, Terry Patterson was a board member. And then a guy by the name of Todd Burley, who was a deacon at another church was the board member. And then we were, we, the sponsoring church, quote unquote, um, was a little axe church of Christ, which was like a 30 member church. So what that meant is we had all the power. It was, it was, it was a power dynamic. Now we were in complete control 
of our of, of our you know what we wanted to do, who we wanted to be. We didn't have to worry about anything at that point, um, except for me. Uh, <laughs> so during that, so that changed in the first part of 2014 is when that got switched over. Well, I had already been questioning, as I told you, a lot of things, right? And yeah. so I am I'm still wondering, okay, what do I need to be doing? Like, like what path? And I'm still believing a lot of the things, but I'm starting to change my preaching up. And people could actually tell. So I quit being as harsh, my preaching. This started in 2014. And I actually had uh, my, my mentor, I haven't brought him up in a while, but this whole time, you know, my mentor, even though he lived in Alabama, I lived in Oklahoma, we still kept in um, touch. He was my moderator for all my debates. Well, he, he started, um, there, there were some things that uh, he and I started disagreeing on. <laughs> and I, I started thinking he was liberal. I started thinking oh, wow. that, that he now was doing was compromising the truth on some things and uh, not necessarily liberal in his teaching, but some some things where I, he was doing that I thought was wrong in making some decisions. And so uh, I gave him an ultimatum that I was going to withdraw from him if he didn't change. Wow. Um, so, you know, here he was my mentor from when I was about 15, 16. And now I'm thinking, you know, you're if I'm going to be consistent, I said, brother, if I'm going to be consistent, I got to withdraw from you, too because you're not doing the things that you need to be doing, which is ridiculous. The things now that I was going to, which are ridiculous, absolutely ridiculous. But I, I he, I don't want to say he trained, he created me, but he did train me. And yeah. I told him, I said, brother, I'm just doing, doing the, the, I said, and by the way, I said, well, you trained me in the right way. But I said, you're being inconsistent. You've got to, you've got to uh, do these things or I'm going to withdraw from you. Well, um, he came back to me and told me he repented and he, he made the proper changes. I said, okay. Well, it came back, word came back that he didn't, he didn't. So I called him out on it. I said, I heard you've been lying to me, man. And, uh, I said, you know, we're, we're done. If you don't repent, I said, we're done. And, uh, I said, you're, you're not the same person I knew, you know, 10, 10 years ago, <laughs> 10, 11 years ago, man. I said, you're, you're or 12, 13 at that point. I said, you're not, you're not the same person. And uh, I said, you've gotten weak. You've gotten soft. You've let the world influence you. <laughs> and uh, so that never went through because that was kind of my moment that who who's left? Who's going to heaven? At that yeah. point, it was me. And, uh, and literally, probably, I could count the other people I thought was going to heaven on my, on, on my hands and my toes, on my fingers and toes. That'd be it. And I got to that point really believing, like, this is crazy, man. Is this really the God I believe in? Like, am I really this smart? Because, Kevin, a few years ago, you 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 got some things wrong. And you know that yeah. you're not, you don't know everything. So um, that between that and kind of the whole pair organization deal and, and people starting to cause a rough ruckus off of all that, it just got to the point where I was getting ticked off. I was just getting frustrated. And we did a gospel meeting or I did a gospel meeting for a church and we took pictures and we put it in our newsletter. Well, in the, in the news, in that picture, there's a guy who's raising his hand and uh, it was after it was over and he was just like kind of scratching his head or something. And someone emailed and said, they're going to cut their support. Now they didn't contact us, didn't ask us any questions. They said, we've heard since y'all have become a para a para organization that, you know, y'all are no longer doing things by Bible ways and Bible names or, et cetera, et cetera. 
And I saw this picture of a guy raising holy hands in your worship assembly at your gospel meeting. So we're going to cut our support. Now, that that could be addressed in so many different ways. Uh, not only do I not think it's anything wrong to raise your hand during a worship assembly, it was it, this was just literally afterwards people talking and he was scratching his head. And But when I saw that, I just got so frustrated. And, and, and there was a lot of things that started building up, a lot of inconsistencies, seeing how people were handling things. Um, one guy who agreed with me a few years back on the contribution, now he had kind of become an enemy of mine. So he started telling people I was a false teacher because I didn't believe in the five acts of worship. So all this kind of happened where I didn't believe in the five acts of worship. I'm part of this church organization that doesn't have eldership. Um, you know, I, Kevin's kind of getting softer in his preaching because I was, if you can look at some of my preaching, I was starting to kind of tone down a little bit. And so people were starting to put all this stuff together. Well, that's when I knew the gospel cross had to change. We had to change. So I went to the board and we had been all, all of us had been studying this stuff together and, um, everybody, but, but one person, well, there was a few within the organization at the gospel Christ, but the majority of the board, which was just two because there was three people, the majority of the board ended up studying these things out and saying, yeah, we agree. It needs to go a different direction. So at, at that point, we're like, we're going to take this thing and we're going to make it more of a open-minded, which which open-minded Kevin in 2014 is, is still a very, 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 very conservative Church of Christ guy. But I didn't really know what direction I wanted to go. So finally, I said, no, 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 guys, I'm done. Like, what are you talking about? I said, I'm done. I, I want to step down. I'm done with I'm done with this. I don't want to do this anymore. I don't know where I'm gonna, I don't know where I'm I'm I don't want to have it, my own TV program and be a guy who speaks at three different places a week when I don't even know what I really believe anymore, like where I stand. And so that's that's uh when I resigned and stepped down and just started studying the dog out of the Bible, man. I, I started to at that point in time, I was able to get another job, ended up doing promotional products for another company, which now I own my own business doing that. But from 2014, all I've been able to do, man, is study without without that fear of kind of fitting in a mold. And I'm like, I'm just going to, I'm going to restart. I'm restarting. And I mean, nobody can truly restart because we all have our biases and, and we all have our prejudices, of course. But um, since that time, man, I, that's, and, and the book, I mean, this, this hour and a half episode is not done done the book justice. This I mean, covers ten percent of what's in the book. Yeah, There's yeah. so much more that is in there. And I give I give more in the book from a biblical perspective. I mean I, I give like the verses, you know, I talk about Nadab and Abayu. I talk about Uzzah. I talk about kind of those main verses that are well known that I used a lot and, and I discuss a lot of those different things. But all in all, that's that's what my book's about. And I started writing that a few years after. I started writing that in like 2017. And uh, then it, it was released toward the end of 2018, November, in fact, November two. So it's almost been three years. And uh, even since then, I've changed a lot. But even though my paradigm has shifted some with how I view the Bible, um, this book still, I mean, I would say I believe like 95%. I still pretty much fall into the category of this book. There's a few of things I say and uh, some of the the ways that I was approaching scripture at this point that now I would disagree with. But overall, um, the content in the book is stuff that I would still put my stamp of approval on is, is overall. Um, and it's really just my story about how I 
you know, you can't really refute a story. I mean, a story is your story. And so it really is more about just how I got to kind of got out of all of that. And uh, I, I give a lot more specifics and a lot more detailed studies, as I just mentioned. But overall, this is a book that I would highly recommend you read if you grew up either in the Churches of Christ or if you grew up in any type of legalistic environment. Because this book is not about the Churches of Christ. It's about reframing and shifting our paradigms away from a works-based understanding of God to a grace-centered understanding of God. And that that's two different approaches, which I talk about in my book. I never thought it was workspace because there may be somebody listening. Well, I didn't grow up workspace. No, I never once heard a ser- sermon preach, we earn our way. I-, I heard preachers preach, we don't earn our way. But then the way we were teaching, we earn our way. In fact, just today I was on, someone had sent me some links um, to, to, to do a little research um, on, uh, on a few churches uh, as far as just kind of some of the beliefs and where they stand. And um, it was interesting because, first of all, it's kind of a waste of time. I don't know why they wanted me to look into it. But second of all, um, I, I, it kind of sent me on a rabbit trail, and I ended up looking up several churches of Christ. And on their page, this was pretty uniform across several pages. It says, you know, what we believe what you have to do to be saved. Our salvation is obtained by hearing, believing, repenting, confessing, being baptized, and living faithful. Not a word about grace. And, and not a word about grace, not a word about mercy or any of those things. Now, there are church Christ out there. Don't, don't get me wrong. And I'm sure if you were to talk to them, they would say, oh, yeah, we believe in grace. But grace is what you get once you've done everything right. Um, yeah. Repentance is what, mercy is what you receive once you repent of all your sins. And then you're doing the right thing again, which is a complete misunderstanding of grace and mercy. But I say all those things to say I I have I led I still have very conservative friends. I have a very conservative friend who is proofreading my new book because I want to hear his perspective on it before I release it. Um, but this old book, I had the same friend who's very conservative read this, and he gave me some really good feedback on the book. But one of the things that I try to always do is because he actually said he goes, I disagree with some of your conclusions, but he's like, I appreciate the tone in which you write. That's the one thing I want to make sure I'm doing. Yes. Not setting myself up as the authority, not making myself to be a guy who knows everything. That's my whole point. I don't know everything. That's why we're having conversations. I write not because I think I know, because I know I don't. And and, and I want to get these ideas out so we can discuss them, so we can have honest, vulnerable conversations, but also so that we can avoid the pitfalls that Kevin Pendergrass of years ago f- uh, fell into. And there's a lot of good people, a lot of sincere people like myself who thought they're doing the right thing, but they're causing havoc. They're leaving a path of destruction. They're, they're not bearing good fruit, even though they think they are. And this book is, is not just for people who've come out of legalism, but people who are considering it, people who are questioning it, and people who just kind of want to learn more. And so the, the, my new book is not going to be a part two to this per se, I mean, you can read the new book without ever reading this first book, but I think this first book does set the stage. It gives a good foundation for why I have now written this new book called Blinded by the Bible. And really, while I was writing this first book, A Different Kind of Poison, I focused on legalism. I mean, that's obviously what the book's about. Even then, I st- still feel like I was short-sighted a little bit, and that's why this new book, Blinded by the Bible, I feel like the bigger issue is what caused the legalism to begin with, right? Like my focus yeah. was so much on the legalism. Well, what caused the legal legalism to begin with? 
was how I had projected certain expectations onto the Bible and a framework on the Bible that I believe is incorrect and that we should not do. So that's what this new book is going to be about. But for now, if you haven't, please, please, please check it out. I always give this um, uh, uh, offer as well. If you believe that in buying the book, you're supporting me and you don't feel like you can support me because maybe you think I'm a false teacher and you have that uh, belief, um, please reach out to me or have somebody reach out to me on your behalf and I will give them a free PDF copy. I do this for everyone. Um, please only do that, though, if this is legit, because I, I really do not make money on my books. That's not what I do for a living. The amount of money it takes to um, that goes into to making this book, researching the book. I had to buy about 150 books for this new book, which was didn't wasn't cheap um, on top of everything else. And so my goal is to make sure I don't lose too much money when I write a book. OK, so I'm, I'm giving this offer out there on the honesty uh, on the honest system, the honor system, uh, the yeah. honor system. Yes, that's the word I'm looking for. Not honesty system, but yeah, the honor system. If, if but if the, you really do believe that, it, because I used to believe, well, I can't buy this book because I don't want to support them. If you believe that, I, I understand it. Let me know. I'll send you a free PDF copy. Or if for whatever reason you can't afford it, it's only six ninety nine on Kindle, um, and I think. $14, $15 if you actually buy a paper copy. But if you if you really cannot afford it, let me know. And once again, I'll send you a free PDF copy. I don't do this to make money. I do this to get the word out there. And the money I do make goes into recouping some of just some of the expenses that it takes to go into to, to writing it. But I, I always want that. I'm going to do that with every book. That's something I'm always going to allow. I'm always going to have that available um, because I never want someone to say, oh, I'm Kev, you got to pay to hear what Kevin. No, you don't. No, you don't. If you really want that, let me know and I'll send you a free PDF copy. Well, and this podcast should be evidence of that, too, because we don't make any money off of this. And any efforts that we may engage in to monetize it later is just to grow the podcast, to grow our audience and to get that word out there, because you don't need money from the podcast. You don't need money from your books. I don't need money from the podcast. Like we have jobs. We have jobs. We have jobs. Just kidding. Just I mean, kidding. This is, I mean, this is, this is something that we do not to make a living off of. I make a very comfortable living. I'm doing very well. You make a comfortable living. You're doing very well. We do this because we're passionate about this material. Right. We have talked about, I've talked about my past and I've dredged up some things that are painful and I could see it in your eyes and I could hear it in your voice as you're recounting some of the things that you did in the past and all good conscience. That's painful to retread some of that old ground. Oh yeah, we, man. We don't yeah. do this to hear ourselves talk. We don't do this because we get jollies from it or because it's, it's something that that we just enjoy, which we do enjoy it, but this is something that we firmly believe in because we have been down a road that was not an easy road to travel. And we know we're not alone in that. And we know yeah. that there are others who are facing some of the same things we face and having some of the same questions that we have had. And I know in my journey, you started your journey before I started mine, but your book was very helpful in helping me reorient myself to some of those other ideas. It, like you mentioned just a few minutes ago, Nadab and Abihu and Uzzah and, and those other concepts and those other passages that we would so often go to, like, like talking about Eliezer and Ithamar. Like I'm, I'm like, who are those oh, yeah. people? Yeah. I don't even know who those people are. And they're in the same chapter as Nadab and Abihu. That's what's following so verses, hilarious. Yeah. In the following verses. And 
Anyway, but that being said, this has been a really good episode. And having told my story, I'm glad you told yours because whenever people say, oh, well, how legalistic could you be? And it's like, y'all, we were pretty bad. I mean, yeah, you were, yeah. I'll, I'll just go out and say you were, you were way worse than I was, but, um, but I mean, I, well, I never more, would. More faithful, right? I mean, I was oh, just way <laughs> more faithful. Yeah, you're way more faithful. But you know, oh, I would. Mercy. I would never what what we call in the jujitsu world. I would never dojo storm another uh, church or another congregation. But if the opportunity presented itself to have a conversation, I would try to get people to start talking and start going, and then find a p a place where I could throw something in there to point out their inconsistency and. And just really hammer that home. But in, in any case, whenever people wonder, well, just how legalistic were you guys? You've heard it here. Kevin has told his story and there's way more to the story. And there's a whole lot more that you can get out of this story. If you uh, decide to take the time to read Kevin's book and you'll be really rewarded if you do so. Well, and, so, that, and that's something that if, if you are going through this stage of deconstructing or if you have, uh, perhaps you're thinking about it. The, the book, you know, I literally all this tonight um, just was was talking um, just just what what come what was coming to my mind. But the book is very structured. Um, it goes through kind of the typical arguments that you also will run across when you do begin to change. You know, pe one of the biggest accusations against me and my change is that Kevin has just gone from one extreme to the other. Um, you know, people will point to me and say, look, this dude was nuts, man. He he was out doing all this crazy stuff, some that I mentioned tonight. He he feels guilty. He feels shame. He really just feels bad about it. So now he all he's doing is just going to the other extreme. Kevin, Kevin's just gone from one extreme to the other. And I heard that probably more than anything else. And at least with that accusation, um, I could see why people believe that. And I question that in myself a lot, man. I, I And I still do. I still do. I wonder, I'm like, man, have I just gone from one extreme to the other? And, and, and I'm trying not to. I'm really not. But sometimes you're so far to one end, you do have to come a, a really far away the other way to, to, to get where you need to be. But, you know, those are types of things that um, are more psychological because we like to think of changes like this as more theological. You know, this is all just a matter of give me a few book chapter verses and this will change the way I view things. And that is but, part of it. But there's way yeah, more to it than that. Yeah, there's so much just uh, there, it, this is such a psychological there's such a psychological element to changing when you're changing this this much this way. Um, and quite frankly, the book is very um I'm trying to think of a good way like it, it covers a lot of those types of things but i have changed believe it or not from writing this first book to where i'm at now actually has been a bigger change than from 2010 or 9 or 8 or 7 or 6 to 2000 and you know 15 16 i mean like most people don't won't see that, but to me personally, I have had a much bigger change the last three years of my life internally than I had even those years before. Even though those years before they were more impactful, the the changes were more impactful uh, in the way they manifested themselves. The changes I had in the past three years internally and in my own faith have have changed a whole lot, and so. I did say you don't have to read the first one to read the second one. It would really be good if you did, because I think it just makes a whole lot more sense. And, and the second book, I kind of almost start at a certain level um, of, of kind of an understanding. So, 
Anyway, I, I hope, like I said, you really have no excuse because I just said I'm going to give it to you for free if you want it. So, <laughs> Yeah, well, and I would encourage everybody to go ahead and, you know, buy a copy just to, just to help cover those costs. And if you really do have that compunction that you can't support a, quote, false teacher, if you're, you know, we're, we're 70 some odd episodes into our podcast now. And if you're still listening mainly because you're a hater <laughs> and you're looking for, for sermon fodder for Sunday morning, um, do yourself a favor, just get the book and read it, just get it, check it out, holler at Kevin. He will give you a free copy. I know I have hollered at Kevin on behalf of a couple of people and I have provided them with that free copy. I mean, he's making that offer and he'll stick by it, but in any case, man, I appreciate you taking the time to share your story. I, th I think it's something that will be helpful. I know I've shared mine, you've shared yours, and I know a lot of people will be able to get something out of it. So uh, appreciate it. And to our listeners, we appreciate you guys. We love you guys, and we're thankful for you. Our podcast is growing every week. Our Statistically, our audience is getting bigger and bigger. It's a slow growth, but it is growing, and we're really thankful for that because that tells us that you are all finding value in what we have to say. So thank you all very much. Please share this with your friends. Give us that five-star review on iTunes. If you have any questions or concerns or suggestions, holler at us. We love hearing from you, and we bid you all a good day.